Have you guys enjoyed this series? Oh, I mean, yeah, can we just... Uh, I want to encourage you to take the sort of, almost the equipping, hopefully, you felt, the tools that I've been trying to give us, so that you can then go back into the Scripture and, and find so many more labels. But should we have one more label today before we call it quits for the time being? Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. We've been making the point that every person is asking the question, who am I? And actually, can I say, Americans really ask that question. It's interesting, so many of you are like, well, I'm, I'm actually half Irish and a quarter Croatian and a third Latvian, and there's this DNA tests are a big deal here, aren't they? Yeah, you know it. And, and there's this question in your culture of who am I, which is even more than even any culture. But I've been making the point that in response to that question of who am I, that we ask ourselves from a little age, from, from just young, young children, we either take the world's labels, which is, you know, I'm the clever one, or I'm the Irish one, or I'm the intelligent one, or whatever it might be, and we try and hold on to these labels. We try and live into those labels, which means we either have a life of pride, where we feel like we're attaining them, or despair, when we feel like we are failing them. Either way, what is it? It's exhausting. It is exhausting. Thank you, Andre. He's been doing my slides each week. He knows it's exhausting. It is exhausting, though. And we slip into it. And exhaustion is not actually how we're meant to live as Christians, that quiet exhaustion. And the gospel... This may be your first time ever in a church, and I'll say, what is the gospel? The gospel at one level is God's gracious treasure trove of new labels, new identity that he gives us by grace, that you are no longer primarily a mother or a father or primarily an intelligent one or a good-looking one. You are no longer primarily those things. You are primarily many other things that this wonderful Bible has been telling us we now receive as a grace gift. And we've been using this table, this chart. Last time we'll see it, don't worry. This chart, this chart here, which has <laughs> helped us visualize what is the gospel. Well, it's who God is, God's identity. Flowing out of that, what God has done, God's activity. Thirdly, then, who we are, our identity. And then finally, we come to what we do. As Americans and British, we spend so much of our life naturally in box four, doing, 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 doing. And what I've been trying to help us to understand is that the gospel, although it includes activity, it doesn't start with our activity. In fact, it's mainly about who God is, who we're going to enjoy forever as Christians, and what God has done through sending His Son to die in our place and raise from the dead and sending the Spirit, and now who we are as Christians. Box three is that kind of identity label box. And so we've been over the last three weeks... Week one, I was saying that our first uh, label, new label that you are given, even if you've been a Christian just for a short period of time, is that the Bible tells us in Ephesians and throughout it is that you are now saints. Saints. It's not appropriate just to think of special few people who are saints. No, no. If you're a Christian, the Bible says you are now saints. You are holy ones. Secondarily, we learned a couple of weeks ago that we're also children of God. We're adopted in his holy royal family. Thirdly, last week we, we saw the fact that we are redeemed, which means set free. We are gloriously now free ones. We do not have to go back to our old ways of living and thinking and sinning. Today, we come to our final one in this series, is that we are heirs. We are inheritors. Read with me from verse 11 of chapter 1. 
of Ephesians. In him we have obtained, past tense, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, second time now, inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, knowing him better, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that, he, that you may know what is the hope to what he has called you. And here we go for a third time. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Okay, you are an heir. Hallelujah. It came up in the worship. I love it when it comes, it pops out. God's agenda comes through um, even before we've officially got to what we're looking at today. You are, if you're a Christian today, you are an heir. You are an inheritor. What does that mean? Lots of things you could define uh, an heir as. Number one, it means that you are secure. You are secure. You are secondarily affirmed. When you think about what an heir is, a princess or a prince, someone who's going to receive and is receiving amazing privileged things, you are secure, you are affirmed, and you are provided for. To be an heir means at least those three things. You are secure, affirmed, and provided for. Again, a wonderful lack of response, which tells me, <laughs> you're like, woo, it's great. You guys, you know, it's just your bang on cue every week. Just great. So what that's telling me is, again, remember I've done this every week, I've sneaked up on you, is that <laughs> there was a time, the Bible tells us, if you're a Christian here today, there was a time before you became a Christian where you were not an heir, okay? So that means you were not secure and affirmed and provided for. You weren't those things. You could, uh, this is the label that, my best attempt at a label that is the opposite of being an heir, which is what you would have worn as an unbeliever before you, became to, you came to Christ, is that you could feel, and in a sense you were, abandoned, overlooked, and unprovided for. If I'm saying that this, the Scripture is telling us one metaphor that we are meant to have in our minds as being Christians now is that we are heirs, and that means those three positive things, it's fair to say that therefore an appropriate way of understanding how you were beforehand, your label, before you became to Christ, is that you were abandoned, overlooked, and unprovided for. It's kind of similar to the whole orphan thing, kind of similar to much of what I've been saying. So once again, let me take you on a personal journey of vulnerability as we begin today by just letting you, in, you into a little um, a personal symptoms check of what it may look like for you. It's certainly, this is what it looks like for me. When even though the Bible tells me I am an heir, which means I am affirmed and secure and provided for, I'm a royal heir of God. 
what it looks like for Tom Shaw to unconsciously slip back into functionally still living as someone who feels abandoned and overlooked and unprovided for, what it looks like, first of all, is this. Number one, I think this should come up on the uh, screen. Workaholism. You see, an heir is someone who is a receiver, okay? It's very different to the American mindset and the British one. In your country, it's about working hard, right? I mean, it's interesting how culturally there's a lot more freedom in a sense here. So just with the healthcare system, we are learning. We get to choose whether we have a CAT scan. We get to choose that. Whereas in English, it's just like, this is what you need, this is what you'll get. Because of its more socialist type roots, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying one is better or the other, don't worry. What I'm saying, though, is, is that you are in a country, the land of the free, right? That's a big thing. And so there's this sense of, I can choose, which is not wrong. Man, this is an amazing place to live. It really, I love it. However, what it can do is, the idea of an inheritor is someone, you just receive it. An inheritance is scandalous. If any of you have ever, ever, have ever inherited something, inheritance leads to humility, doesn't it? It leads to a sense of, I almost don't want to tell my friends about this because some distant aunt left me this. I feel a bit embarrassed. Whereas if your mindset is less about inheritance and more about working to achieve, that can lead to pride. Do you understand? It's a very different mindset. You can end up with the same amount of stuff, but if one has been inherited and given to you, it leads to this sense of humility and I don't deserve this. The other can lead to a sense of, here we go. I was pretty efficient in my work schedule, and that led to this. Do you see? So workaholism... I can see it in my life. I, I, I've mentioned this several times. I won't bore you again, but a drivenness in me that can still creep in. Even that whole thing of waking up in the morning and feeling behind. First thought is, I'm behind. Any of you feel that? You feel, well, I'm behind. Secondarily, driven. Just a quiet drivenness that can mark out your life. If you are actually still feeling unconsciously abandoned and overlooked, and unprovided for, you, there's a drivenness that can mark out your life. I notice in myself I tend to get very serious. There's not a lot of joy when I'm going back into this way of thinking about myself. If I feel abandoned, if I feel somewhat overlooked, and no one's going to provide for me, I tend to get quite, <laughs> quite serious and intense. Fourthly, I, I, I'm marked more by anxiety and fear. Anxiety and fear. Fourthly, I notice the what-if questions and the how questions are much more quick to come on my lips. So someone says, oh, we could do this thing. And I'm much more quick to be like, yeah, but what if? Or how is that going to happen? Because I'm unconsciously still seeing myself as someone who is... Abandoned, overlooked, and uh, unprovided for. I become more pushy. Subtly. I mean, I'm going to be really embarrassingly vulnerable with you now. This is cringing, but there you go. For you. I have noticed, if I'm in a setting where there is food, okay, and we're all meant to be lining up for food, I have noticed that it can push this weird fear button thing in me of there might not, if I go to the back, if I wait, there might not be enough. 
I know it's ridiculous. I'm sure none of you struggle with this. But it's not just gluttony. It's not gluttony, although I'm sure that's part of my deal. But it's like, I, there's a strange kind of, I don't know if there's going to be quite enough. It's very quiet. It's very quiet. But it can be in there. I, I, this is honestly true, and it's extraordinary. I'm 40 years old. I've been a Christian 20 years. I noticed two Christmases ago, uh, it was December the 1st, and uh, in England, that's when things just vaguely begin in terms of celebrations. December, like, vaguely. Very leisurely start. And it was December the 1st, but we're an enthusiastic family, so we went to go and get our Christmas tree. And I promise you, I noticed kids were finishing school, and we were going to get in the car and drive to the shop. And I, I noticed a kind of fear in my heart that they would be sold out. Isn't that crazy? I could notice. I was like, come on, quids, we've got to go. We've got to get. And I was like, this is weird. It's a Christmas tree. It's December the 1st, not in America, where you'd be like, woo, it's almost Christmas. In England, they're like, you know, it's. What? And I just noticed this slight. And I'm thinking that, that for me is this, this quiet voice at the back of my head that comes from feeling abandoned, overlooked, and I've got to provide. I've got to provide. I've got to make sure I'm more pushy. I see everyone else who's more blessed than me. Yeah? I, I just, I unconsciously can so easily see other people as more blessed than I, even though it's just not true. I struggle to trust other people. Really, it's a type of unbelief. Um, I either use people or need people. I've mentioned that before. And I tend to finally interpret rejection a lot in circumstance. I would tend to feel like a tiny thing, somehow I will quickly feel rejected. I don't know if any of you ever feel that. I, I will take offense much quicker. And I'm, I'm a master of not showing it. But it will sit, it will cut this fiery dart, which is boom, it comes in. A tiny little thing. And what this is telling me is, theologically, I may know that I'm an, I'm, I'm an heir, which means I am secure and affirmed and provided for. But in reality, I'm actually still living, feeling abandoned by God. I'm still feeling overlooked by God. I'm still feeling unprovided for by God. And all these little money, what do you like with money? For me, I don't struggle with luxury, spending money on luxury. Money grips me because it offers security. It speaks to me, have loads of savings, as much as you can, and that will give you a sense of provision and security. That's the subtle trap for me with money. And therefore, what I, meet, what I struggle then is to be generous. Because I feel justified. I haven't got a flashy lifestyle. I've got old cars. But money can just, just as much grip me. Do you understand? If I'm living in a mindset of abandoned overlooked and unprovided for. Money is an amazing, amazing uh, indicator of where I'm at and where you're at. Am I genuinely feeling like an heir or am I feeling like an orphan or am I feeling abandoned and overlooked? I even notice when I go to the airport. When I go to the airport, my family, we've flown, flown quite a few times recently. I, there's another side. If I'm in that old mindset, Something like a fear that we're not going to get, we don't even know our seats are already booked. I can be like ushering my kids through. Quick, there's a line over there. 
And like he's like, what is, go- what is, and Josie's like, what the heck is going on with you, Tom? And I'm like, hey, I'm fine. And inside, I'm like, and is this just me? Come on, tell me, be in this with me. Please, please. You will have your own potential. <laughs> Maybe this just, do you see what I'm saying? It's these subtle enslavements. These, I, I'm an heir of everything, but I actually live as if I've got to make everything happen. Do you understand? And that's, there's, there's, there's greater freedom. So what does it mean then to be an heir? Well, I'm not going to add new stuff into the mix at this stage. We've already had three staggering weeks of what it means to be an heir. It means, number one, that we have got the spiritual goods of being holy. Saints, the Lamb of Christ has been good enough. You never have to perform again. That Jesus Christ has performed. That the focus of the priests, the focus of eternity is not on us, but on the Lamb. He's good enough. And you get now a freedom in your soul from ever having to perform again. Hallelujah. That's why you really can hold everything lightly. You can hold it lightly. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. It's not a wages mindset anymore. Paul says that in Romans. He goes for the jugular. He says, no, you mustn't think that. Even the skills you have are a gift. Woo! So we receive, we are, if I'm a saint, if I'm holy, that means I never have to feel condemned again. I, I should never feel condemned again. I can resist that. I am good enough. It means I'm secure. If I'm holy, I am secure. If I'm holy, then I am, I am good enough before the Lord, even if I'm average in my own reality, and I am not a super-duper anything. It also means, remember, that we are now adopted. We're children of God. You are no longer an orphan. Man, that's spiritual riches, right? It means you are affirmed. You are secure. You are affirmed that you belong to God. That you never now need to ultimately find that sense of affirmation from anyone else ever again. That has been given to you, and one day in eternity you will gloriously, totally enjoy it for all, all, for all, in all consummation. Thirdly, you're also redeemed. Remember? You have received an inheritance of being a set-free one. Which means no longer do you have to have even though your old self will tell you, you don't actually have to have control. You don't. You are becoming like Christ, who didn't need to be in control. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Some of you have grown up with controlling parents, and your generation, you are going to break that. You are going to model something differently. By the grace of Christ, by the power that raised him from the dead, you are not going to control your kids or your spouses or others. You will enjoy self-control to not control. That's an inheritance. You can have the biggest house and the flashiest cars and the big. I take it all. Give me that one thing: freedom from the need to control and to be in control. And I will take. I will give everything else away. Hallelujah! And it's been given to you by the grace of Christ. You don't need comfort anymore. You don't. You don't. You are blessed with it at this season. You don't actually need it. You find comfort in Christ. You don't need approval. You don't need power. You don't need to win. You don't need to lead. You can just be whatever God's calling you to be right now, like Christ. Oh, wow. What riches. Freedom. You are redeemed. Don't believe the lie. And it comes in the form of, 
Sometimes this kind of culture of like, oh, we're all going to struggle, we're all going to be weak. Yeah, I get that. I'm weak. I talk about weakness, okay? I, I struggle. But my identity declares victory. It does. God has called us to be bold in Christ. We can be bold. About, Paul is bold in his weaknesses. I'm going to outboast all of you in how rubbish I am, the old Paul, but I'm now more than a conqueror in Jesus. They are two people, and I am winning. You are enabled by the power of God to no longer live in fear. Man, the, the, the response from last week, that's telling us something. God is uprooting. He loves this church. He died for this church. He is the gardener, and he is coming around this church, and he's tearing out lies that you've lived up, and you haven't even realized it. I, I had one text this morning from a friend of mine, and he wanted to ring me, and I couldn't call me because I was in the middle of a thing with someone else. He said, Tom, I am seeing massive breakthrough in my work environment. Intimidation under my boss is being broken before my very eyes. God is breaking it. And it comes from knowing who we are. But I want to finish. Oh, I'm tired. I'm sorry. I always try and, I mean, this is for me to try and calm me down. It's a little hint. Tom, sit down. Let's see how this works. It's not going to work. But I've only got 15 minutes left. 10 minutes, we're going to respond. But listen, there is something in here that is the, I have saved the best to last. Going to have a woo. And I really mean that. This gem of truth I had overlooked for so many years. I have been talking about you and me getting our inheritance, right? Getting spiritual goods. The focus is on you and you and me getting stuff. Oh, I've got holiness. I've got adoption. I've got redemption. I've got peace. I've got power. I've got something else that rhymes with that. I feel like it should be a song. I've, I've got a new creation waiting for me. I've got forgiveness. I've got the power to be generous. Amazing spiritual goods. Hallelujah. That's what I've been saying. But did you notice, and I'd never noticed it, how Paul, when he comes to that third time of talking about inheritance, he switches it. Let me read it again. Look with me, verse 18. He says, I'm praying that you're going to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you'll know the hope to which he's called you, but also, here we go, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you see what he did there? He's not talking about your inheritance anymore. He's now talking about God's inheritance. What he's saying is, is actually your inheritance is a God who sees you as his inheritance. More than even all these spiritual goods that are incredible and Jesus died for and he rose for and he has promised. They're amazing and I've mentioned them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the ministry of the, the Holy Spirit in our life. These are amazing things. But what he does here, he's, he's now talking about something else. He says, he says, I want you to understand and have a wisdom and revelation. What are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Get that. That actually is one thing to be waiting for a kind of static lot of spiritual goods. Here I am and I'm waiting. I've got some of it now because I'm an inheritor, but I'm also waiting for eternity to get these goods. I'm waiting for these things that God is going to give me through his inheritance. But it is totally another to be 
to, be, to realize that God, these are not spiritual goods that we are waiting for. This is a God who is not just sort of, he's not static and, 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 and we are waiting for God to give us stuff. He is proactively, actively seeing us as his inheritance. Do you understand? He's, he's saying, I see you as my glorious inheritance. The riches of his, God's, glorious inheritance. You see, for you to understand that more than anything else I've said, the greatest inheritance, the real, what it is to really be an heir, is to know that your God sees you as his inheritance. More than any stuff you could ever get. It is to understand you get him and it's not just him, not just a person. You get a person who with a broad smile on his face and no apparent irony sees this bunch of humanly very normal people as his, the riches of his glorious inheritance. I mean, and you see this throughout Scripture again and again in Deuteronomy. God is promising Israel, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you your inheritance. And then he says in 32, he says, actually, but you are my inheritance. You are my inheritance. I mean, you and I may have never had anyone, anyone ever describe to you, you are my glorious, glorious inheritance. In fact, you've probably, most of us have never grown up with that being said over us. But the Bible tells us that our identity, more than any other identity, is that we, we belong to Him, that we are His that we are his glorious inheritance. I mean, I'm not, being, I'm not being rude, but if I'd gone through Calvary, if I'd done what Jesus did, and I'd gone through the, the hell of, of, of Calvary, and I was like, what do I get? What do I get, God? I've been through all of this. And he's like, here you go. I, no offense, but I would probably be somewhat gutted. I'd be like, I get you? Did you see what I went through? Do you see what I went through? And yet Jesus here, by the Spirit, he wants them to understand, I don't see the church in Visalia as some bedraggled, like, booby prize. So I'm like, oh, what? I see them, they're the riches of my glorious inheritance. I mean, isn't that amazing that God sees you as his glorious possession, his cherished, exquisite inheritance, that God is emotional about you. The reason I'm emotional about you is not because of my temperament. It is because God wants you to understand today, no matter how much you have not experienced that in your life, genuine, appropriate enthusiasm and joy and passion over who you are. The God of the universe is rubbing his hands with glee, and he is having to be actually very disciplined not to end your life and draw you into intimacy with him. He's like, oh, another day. Okay, I'll give them one more day. But I just can't wait for Mark Condy for his heart to stop. And then I can get to be with him face to face. Or with Jared Turner. Do you understand? This is the feel of it. Man, if you live your life unconvinced of the love of God, if you just live your life, things will be very powerful to you. Things will have a huge attraction. But when bit by bit, you start to taste and see that, the, that God sees you as the riches of his glorious inheritance, 
that he is so excited to meet you. He's genuinely so thrilled. He knows when it's going to happen. When people die here, we get sad, understandably. When people die here who know Christ, heaven rejoices. It's amazing. Death, where is thy sting? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We, we get to, die, to, to enter into the embrace of a father who sees us as his glorious inheritance. I, I just find that mind-blowing. Because I know my mindset when I read this is about what is the inheritance, what do I get? You know, what are the things I get, God? Oh, a new creation, a body that's no longer like this. I, I get a family who are no longer going to, you know, be mixed in, as we all are. The inheritance you get is a God who sees you as his inheritance. He's that extraordinarily excited about you. I mean, if that one truth from this whole series just lands... <laughs> Every day becomes a party. Every day becomes a day of rejoicing, if it's true. And even now, that's why Paul, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not like just a mental thing. It's that, that God, by his power, would give you a genuine a, a revelation. It's like the idea of curtains going back at a theater. Like, whoo, you would see it. <gasps> you really feel that about me. You're really emotional about me. <clears throat> when I... When Daisy first started school in England, I'm, I'll never forget, I dropped her off at 8.45, school starts a bit later in England, and uh, <laughs> I dropped her off, and off she went into the school, and I was just walking back to my car, you know, a bit of a sentimental, emotional man, and suddenly, through this fence, I saw her, like, in the playground, with all of her friends, I was like, Daisy! And she was like, oh no, I was like, Daisy, come here, quick, 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 and she was like, Sort of, you know, came over. I was like, Daisy, I've missed you so much. And she was like, it's been like five minutes, Dad. What, what are you talking about? I was like, chatting to her. How's it going? I hope you're not being bullied, you know. And she was like, I'm fine, Dad. I'm really, it's fine, you know. And she, and she goes off. And that whole day, I said to her, to her, I can't wait till three o'clock. And I really meant it. I was like, I cannot wait. That is six hours away. I can't wait until I see you again, Poppet, and, and I hear about your day. And I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't, you know, like working. I, I just adore her. You know that. You know it's like when you see your child and they don't know you're there. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and I just suddenly thought, if I feel that about Daisy, how much more does our God in heaven watch you from afar? And he's like, three o'clock's coming. I can't wait till three o'clock is what our God is saying. He is getting ready to embrace you, to smother you, to, to overwhelm you with his fatherly love. Some of you when, you, when we think about baptism in the Spirit, we get so locked up with fear about an experience of the Spirit. And, blah, blah, blah. and actually, it's about knowing a father who runs towards you. And he's made everything plain. He wants you to understand. He is so for you. And he wants you to be in on it now, is what he's saying. Do you understand that? He doesn't, he's not prepared, he's not satisfied with you having a life where you are in any doubt as to how much he likes you. Do you understand that? The enemy will try and do that. Have you ever had that experience where you've gone out with someone uh, and, uh, for a date and, uh, and you think it's gone all right? You know, you're pretty, pretty uh, but you're not sure. I think she liked, I'm not sure. 
And then their friend tells you, she's nuts about you, mate. She thinks you're amazing. And what happens is, you're not just going to get another date. You know, this is a sure thing. This is great. What happens is when you now know that's how she feels about you. You're not waiting in suspense, you know. You're not waiting with mystery in an unhelpful way. Suddenly you're like, walking on sunshine. You know, you know. You know. You know. She's told you. And she's going to pretending a bit. But you're like, I know, because your best friend told me. <laughs> this is what happened with me and Josie. No, no, but do you understand? He sent us a text. He's, he let, he's let us know. He's spoken to us. You don't have to be in any doubt. He is yearning for three o'clock. He's yearning. This day, this life is great. It's wonderful. He wants you to be wonderful and called. But it is ultimately a warm-up to eternity with him. You will be walking in the garden with your God, restored, glorious. Faith will be replaced by sight. You will never again have to doubt his love for you. You are an heir. You will be an heir. But you know what? The, 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 the biggest inheritance you get is a God who sees you as his, as his inheritance. Man, it just doesn't get any better than that. Should we stand to our feet? It says in Psalm 139, let's worship. I'm going to hand over to these guys to guide us, but I think we'll include worship, I'm sure. I hope so. Uh, it says in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too lofty for me. And... It kind of is, isn't it? It's like, how do I get this <laughs> to live in this? So even as the band come up, I, I just pray that, Lord, you would be in our hearts taking information and make it impartation. In Jesus' name.